want to welcome you back to this episode of the Close Quarter Dad podcast, uh, where we work with men, helping them to teach and train their children to live more confident, safe, and resilient lives. I have an extremely special guest here today, Mr. Jay Teagues, who is a speaker. He's a performance coach. He's a trainer. He runs the Do Hard Things podcast, which I strongly encourage all of you to subscribe to. If you haven't already, hop on over right now, press the pause button, and go subscribe to that podcast because it's incredible. Uh, but more important, he's a father of three teenage girls. Um, did I mention he's an endurance athlete? And Jay, you're a uh, career military man spending 25 years uh, in the military. And before we go any further with this uh, episode, I want to thank you for your service and the time you spent uh, uh, dedicated to our country. Yeah, thank you. So welcome to the podcast, Jay. Welcome to the podcast. No, it's great did to I be here. Did I miss anything there? Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Jay, you know, you do work uh, in uh, excellence training and uh, high-performance coaching. You've got a wealth of experience in your background, whether it be from military and training within a military environment, environment and teaching and coaching and training in a civilian environment. Let's, um, let's before we dig into some of the more kind of tactical stuff, give me an overview of the work that you're doing now and how it's different from the experience and the career path that you had as a teacher trainer uh, in the military, what you were able to extract from that and how it's able to benefit uh, the people that you work with in the communities that you're developing right now. Um, and let's kind of take a big step, like take kind of an 800 foot view of your work so we can get some context as we move forward in this discussion. Yeah, so I, I've been in the military for the last 25 years and I was only initially going to serve for maybe three, four years, <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do when I when I grew up. Uh, I came from a broken home, but the structure of the military, I was able to kind of thrive in the military uh, because of that regimented structure, and I was just naturally good at it. And, you know, I've had a, a wide variety of, of jobs, but ultimately, everything that I've done in the military, I've had a very unique career compared to most. And I feel like everything that I have done, all of the specific jobs that I've done in the military from being instructor to being commander to recruiter, all of these different things has, has set the tone for my next mission, my next chapter, if you will. Mm. And when I realized what my next mission was, which is to help people live a better life and help them achieve their fullest potential through grit and discipline. Uh, you know, I, I look at, I mean, I, I've been at rock bottom and I know what it feels like to want to end it because I was there. Like so many veterans, we, we have those challenges. And I have learned through, okay, I need to be vulnerable enough and, and have the self-awareness to go unpack my own trauma from a tragic childhood and, and some of the experiences I've had in the military and have the courage to do that for my family. Because the only reason I didn't want to tap out was for my kids. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not leaving them. I, I've, I've known uh, a lot of people that have taken their life. And I'm not, I'm not doing that to my kids. And I started studying personal growth and development and the combination of therapy, unpacking, going into the past and unpacking some of that. And what I like about coaching is kind of like taking your future best self and bringing it now and have that pathway. That really resonated with me to a point like, I think this, I had that epiphany, like this is my calling as an instructor and mentor and coach and leadership developer in the military. I'm like, there's a great need for this in civilian society. I mean, you look around, we're, we're void of leadership. We live in the most abundant time known you know, in the most abundant nation and people are miserable. <laughs> 
And right, yeah, yeah. We we need this training, and if I can share my story and and save one person and help them achieve their fullest potential, then then that's worth it for me. And I'm finding that's really filling my cup. So, really starting the the movement, and and I and I feel that we talk about resilience. I've, I've been through a lot of resiliency training, but I find it to be very defensive in nature, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe that resonates for people. It didn't resonate very well for me, and I find that if you're performing at a high level. You're, you have clarity, you know specifically what you want, what you're after. You focus on your physiological being, your, your energy level. Uh, are you getting enough sleep? Are you optimizing your health? You, you feel better when you're taking care of yourself. When you have more courage and you take bold action, when you can have influence and, and help people, you have a compelling vision and you help people, whether it be your family or your uh, people that you work with and get them rowing in the same direction. Um, when you're productive, when you're doing like work that's meaningful, when you're doing all of those things and you're with intentionality, resiliency is a byproduct. Like you become naturally yeah. resilient. So it's a different, in my opinion, it's a different way. It's what works for me. And uh, it's helping other people uh, that, that I work with and, and coach with. So that's kind of one of the, uh, probably the differences in the work that I do versus others. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I like how you uh, sort of redefine uh, resilience. Uh, Jay, Take a, taking a couple steps back, I heard you share in one of your episodes about uh, your experience growing up without a father. Um, do you feel that that experience and um, if there was a lack of a father figure, I, didn't, I don't really know that part of your background and that, your story, that part of your story, but you did share it with the listeners. And I'm wondering what that, um, that link, what that played in your decision to go into the military or even to take on that leadership role that you took in the military and to continue on in a leadership and trying to provide for people uh, outside of that career path. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, I find that most people uh, are usually running from something or running towards something when they join the military, and I was mm. kind of both. I guess to give you the, just the, the quick overview, I'm first-generation American. My father was German in descent. My mother was, was uh, Dutch. My father grew up during World War II, and bottom line, all the men, uh, except for one, had, had perished in the war. He uh, and my grandmother uh, and basically all the women of the family stayed together, uh, vicinity of Berlin, when the Russians came through to liberate Berlin. He was on the back of a truck with his grandmother holding him with all of his sisters and all the women, the, the, all the women of the family. Everyone perished. They basically felt... Uh, Great-grandmother fell off the, the truck with him holding him in his arms, and they watched you know, all the women of the family perish. The men never came home. They basically lived through the rebuilding of, of Berlin. So the bottom line is he had some significant traumas that I couldn't even imagine. Mm. And yeah. he ultimately came to the United States. He had joined the U.S. Army for about three years and then continued to live. But he was very dysfunctional. Like, uh, he's my father, uh, but he uh, – didn't handle relationships well. My mother was, I think, his fourth marriage, and that wasn't the only one. So he was—he just had a lot of dysfunction in his life. My uh, mother uh, was; she had some mental illness issues uh, that stemmed when she was about 18, but it was exasperated. They ultimately met in California, and was exasperated by his physical abuse and emotional abuse. So I kind of grew up in that kind of a childhood. He ultimately, um, just like his other relationships cheated on my mother, ran off with another woman. And my mother wasn't able, she, she was like, that put her over the edge. She was in and out of the mental hospital. She was unable to care for me. So I basically went with my father, ran off with this other woman. 
And like all of his other relationships, that didn't end well. So he left me there with her. <laughs> and they ultimately adopted oh. me. And it wasn't a great situation. That's how I ultimately ended up in Missouri. Now, they did take me under their wing. But there was a lot of um, just impoverished home. A lot of I, I wasn't her, so there was some emotional uh, abuse there. And I just knew that this wasn't the environment that I was meant to live in. There was something greater for me, but I didn't know what that was. And I just saw the military. I was fascinated with the military because of my family history with World War II. I was just really yeah. fascinated with the military, so I read a lot of books on it. And I'm like, you know what? The U.S. military, like if I can just – if I can join that organization – like, I feel like I'm part of something greater than myself. I can be around role models, maybe some uh, find that father figure that I never really had and maybe make my way uh, to a better life. And that's really what I did. That's that's what I focused on. And the do hard things mantra for me really comes into play with uh, when I was in high school. I, I had uh, a track and cross country coach who took interest in me. I was, I was a paper boy. In Clarksville, Missouri is like a small town, but it's the highest point in the Mississippi River. And six days a week, I rode my bike and I rode it up this huge hill. I, I developed a really good cardio fitness base as a young child because I did that every day. And I learned grit and discipline because, you know, weather here in the Midwest can be um, uh, quite wide ranging. And it, it took, I was able to earn money and I'm like, you know, it was, gave me some structure every day, something to look forward to. But he invited me out to cross country, and for the first time in my life, I had someone that actually like really cared for me. I was a part of a, a team. I was actually engaged yeah. with some of the other kids that were more prominent in the school that I looked up to. And I'm like, man, I, I really wish I had their life. And what they, but so I really leaned in on this thing, and it felt really good. Like our team was 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 really good, and it was that that difficult thing every day. Like it was a stress reliever. There's so many benefits to this. I'm like, you know what? If I if I just show up and do these difficult things, whether it be you know showing up and, and doing the paper route and, and doing the, the cross country, uh, and, and I ultimately ran track, like all those things felt good, and it kept me uh, motivated to keep my grades up, stay out of trouble, so I could get into the military. Because statistically, uh, I could have easily went down a, a bad path and disqualified myself from military service, and who knows where I would have ended up. And sure, so yeah. that was the that was the, the the bridge I had to get to 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 get into the military. And, um, and from the military, you know, from, from day one, just already had like some of the basic discipline. Fitness was, uh, you know, I, I was naturally fit, a natural runner. And I still had some confidence issues to overcome. But ultimately, the, the military was, was great for me. And yeah. that structure and discipline is what I needed and, and the, the positive role models that I, that I had. Uh, thanks for sharing all that. That's a uh, pretty incredible story. Yeah. Uh, let, let's step into some of your work. In, in one of your episodes, Courage Under Fire, you talk about the, the difference or the transference or the, the pathway from courage to bravery. I found this to be really interesting, and I'd like to kind of step into that, that topic a little bit and what that life cycle looks like and how we as parents can give that gift to our children because I think kids and I might be wrong here but I think kids may seem or culture defines as or you know media displays as courage and bravery kind of being the same thing what I heard in your message was they're not and that you actually go from courage to acts of bravery and I was wondering if you could first of all give us a maybe help me define this a little more clearly uh, but then through your experience, uh, and also your experience, of course, as a dad, 
how can we teach this to our children so that they carry it and use it as a tool in their life? Yeah, that's great. I, I, I think that uh, courage is, is exercising a conscious choice. It's like you identify a fear. And what are the things that we fear? We, we fear physical harm. That's one thing that we fear. We fear judgment of other people. That's, that's a big one nowadays. Yeah. We fear that if we, the, the hardship that we're going to take, if we start a new journey. So if I'm going to go and and maybe there's a a college program or degree program, it's like, man, that's a lot of work. Maybe I'm not going to make it. There's, you know, I'm not good at math. That was one of the big things when I took on a, uh, a program was like, oh man, uh, the, the math is going to get me. Right. Uh, so you, you fear the hardships. Maybe you do all the work and your life isn't better uh, on the other side of it. And, and that's a fear that people have. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest all this time. So people tend to stay stuck because they, they're comfortable with that, even though it's just uncomfortable. And then there's ultimately the, uh, the fear. Some people actually fear success. So those are the things that, uh, that we fear. And, and courage is exercising a conscious choice. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, you know, identify what the fear is, and I'm going to move forward despite that. And bravery is often done, it's, it's taking bold action without a lot of thought. It's like, you know, when you see something happen to someone, maybe there's a car accident, and bravery is like jumping out without giving a lot of thought and taking action and, and, and showing up in that, in that moment. Um, and and that's, that's a little bit of the, it, it's more of an expression of, of like sheer strength and determination in the moment uh, versus courage. So courage is a little bit more deliberate, uh, bravery is a little bit more hasty, if you will. That's the terms that we use in the military, yeah. deliberate versus hasty. Deliberate versus hasty. What are, um, so what are some examples or how, how is this different from adults and children so that as parents we can identify and be able to speak to their level and help them to understand those differences? And, and are they important? Yeah, when I look at like little kids, they exercise bravery all the time. They're jumping off right, the coffee yeah. table. They're <laughs> and for their size, you know, that's that that's a pretty big <laughs> uh, height difference. Yeah, right. so they, yeah, you know, yeah. I think we as humans are naturally brave at birth because you just think about little children as they grow up. They're just like doing all the things they learn. They learn sometimes through through difficulties or uh, maybe falling, bumping their heads. Like, oh, maybe that wasn't a good yeah. idea, you know. So I think our natural disposition is to be courageous and brave. But as as we get older, uh, we know that there's consequences. We know that we start to develop those fears of things because we experience some of those outcomes and hardships. So then we have to um, be a little bit more deliberate about you know our uh, facing our fears, exercising courage. Versus bravery just being kind of more of an instantaneous response. I think as far as like kids, you know, I, I so my, my daughters, I, I have triplet teenagers. Uh, they're 14. One of them is, is autistic. So when they face, when they were exercising courage and, and, and bravery with them, it's a little bit different, right? Because I have two that are in Taekwondo. Uh, my autistic, uh, Sam, she's not, she can't really, we haven't quite gotten her there yet. Cause she has a, a, a difficulty with all the sounds. It's just a lot of, uh, you know, with someone that has, uh, autism, she's high functioning, but it's just overwhelming yeah. all the sensory overload, you know, sure. her going into a restaurant with a lot of noise, like that is an act of courage for her because it's so overwhelming for her. She gets very anxious. Uh, with the other two, it's like, 
when we when we demonstrate like they have uh, Taekwondo t- they're testing out for their belts on uh, on Saturday right so right now kind of coaching them through like what they need to do to be best prepared to face their fear because they're facing fear of failure they're facing fear of, of right. judgment by their peers maybe they won't make it um, and and trying to they're help also coach demonstrating. Them they're also demonstrating that in front of a, a, a crowd of people, which, you know, that, as you know, that's one of the biggest fears that we all have is public performance or you know, speaking in front of public. And they're doing that in front, failing in front of people. That's a, that's a hard thing. So they're really, they're, they're really stepping up to the plate there. It, it's powerful, right? So trying to put them into situations and coach them, I, I think that as parents, we need to find opportunities for them to be uncomfortable and then coach them through those situations the best that we can. And that's... Um, that's what I try to do. Now, I wish that my kids, their, their natural disposition isn't like me. Like I really wanted them to go run cross country and be involved in all these sports and things like that. They're just a little bit more creative and maybe artistic versus uh, what I want them to be. But they're their own. They're coming into their own. But I'm always trying to find opportunities to push them with their interest, right? How can I get them yeah. out of their comfort zone? Like um, my one daughter likes cooking. So maybe trying to encourage her and give her the opportunity to try a recipe, try something, try something new and uh, find those opportunities for her. The other one, uh, Paige, a little bit more artistic. She really likes anime and that type of drawing. So finding opportunities and she doesn't want to show her work, but she's actually really good and trying to coach her through and, and, and be like, it's okay to share your work. You don't have to fear judgment of other people. And so, um, just, but, but I think it really comes back to just trying to be a coach and mentor to them. Find opportunities to push them a little bit, but not overdo it. Because I think there's a lot of parents that tend to overdo it. I find that yeah. a lot with, like, uh, team sports. Like, they got to be involved in every single thing, and they got to do all – and then they ultimately end up hating it, and then you have this failure to launch scenario, right? Um, and so trying to find that balance of, like, coaching, finding opportunities uh, for that. So – that brings us to, uh, with that clear definition in place, that brings us into sort of the next topic I want to discuss that I found really interesting, which was the preparation and the planning for that work that we're talking about. And you made a uh, distinct uh, sort of, uh, there was, you defined them very differently. You said, you know, you plan for what's most likely, for, for the most likely course of action where a lot of people plan for the most dangerous and they think that's the route they're going to go. Now, whether if we go into like the prepper space or we talk about the parenting space or whatever, um, the first question I have uh, on on your work here when you were, sta- you were clearing those, making clear those differences between the two, do you feel that most people naturally plan for the most dangerous course of action because of negative bias or because of fear? Or is it because it's something they've maybe just taught where – taking the most likely course of action is going to probably it will most definitely get you the better results and better outcome. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. In, in the military, you know, that's part of the military planning process is identifying what, what is the enemy going to do? We call that red teaming, right? What's the enemy going to do? Mm. Cause we, we as an organization have to be prepared and you can utilize this in your daily life, right? Cause every day you're facing an enemy of some kind, you're facing resistance. In, in the military planning process, we look at the enemy, like what's the most dangerous course of action that the enemy could take? So let's take example for like Russia, right? Russia's in Ukraine right now. What is the most dangerous thing that the uh, that Russians could do? Probably launch nuclear missiles, right? But what is the, the actual likelihood of that? And then you've got to, so if we were to, to just 
have all of our planning focus and do everything around like the worst case scenario and live in fear of that, um, we're probably missing an opportunity to actually address what's most likely going to happen. That's really like catastrophizing. And, catastrophizing. And that's when, so when you look at the most dangerous course of action, the most dangerous outcome of something that you're engaged in, that's really what you're doing is you're trying to catastrophize and you want to have some planning considerations for that so you are prepared if that's sure. the, 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 the worst that's going to happen. But the probability of the worst is probably not nearly as bad as, as we think it is. So what, what is most likely? And it's basically when you're addressing something, it's like, okay, we've identified this is the worst that could happen, but what's realistic? Like what could realistically go bad? And how would my best self show up with that? And then you do your planning around like, okay, well, if this is likely to happen, I could get tripped up here. These are the things that, that I could do to kind of hedge against that. And I'm a catastrophe. I think I, going to your, uh, your point, I think, I think human biology, because I think what we were as humans designed to run from saber tooth tigers and all of these things, just it's, in, that, yeah. it's in our DNA, right. To think yeah, about the yeah. worst case scenario, uh, because, you know, it's biologically, we were dealing with life and death every day. Well, we're not now, but our DNA is still predispositioned to think about the worst case scenario and catastrophize because that was what was on the line. Yeah. But having awareness that, okay, that, that, okay, my thinking is taking me way out in left field that I'm catastrophizing in the moment. It's not realistic. Let me rein it back in a little bit. Like what's really going to happen? And, you know, that's, that's the difference between we have our emotional brain and we have our logic brain. And usually our emotions are in control, and that's often how we act. But having that awareness, I mean, like, okay, we take a second here and really think about this, really engage logic brain and think about, okay, these are the most dangerous things that could happen. Not as realistic. Hedge against it. Let's focus our effort on the most likely. And the military, you know, that's where we, you know, we plan for both. We always talk about the most dangerous course of action, but we actually execute toward the most likely course of action. That makes good sense. Uh, you, you probably bump up against this a lot with uh, some of your clients and the work that you do, where whether it's in large corporations or at the you know the individual performance level, they're really you know they're they're steering the car into the crash, and you're like you're you're constantly trying to say, okay, stop. Let's look at what's most likely going to happen. Let's not look at what's let's let's keep aware. Let's have a court vision. Let's have field vision of what what the dangers are uh, and where those threats exist. But really, let's look at what's most likely. How then, Jay, do are we able to make those course corrections? And oftentimes, we may not even be witness to the fact that we're looking at the most dangerous uh, or looking for the most da dangerous course of action. We may not be witness to that. How can we keep ourselves in check so that, well, for ourselves, first of all, but also for our kids and for our families? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's the case for, for coaching, right, and having a mentor. I think that right, sometimes you go. can't yeah. always see, you don't have all the field of vision. Like, why do pro athletes have a coach? Do they need a coach? These guys are playing at the highest levels. Why do they need a coach? Because you need Excellent someone point. that, you know, because your, your field of view is like you're, you're, you're a shortstop and you're in your position, you know, but the coaches over there is like, hey, if you just move three feet to the left, because I understand what this batter can do and I understand your capability, if I just move you three feet to the left that you can't see because you think you're in position, that can make all the difference in the world. And I think that's ultimately the case for having a coach and mentor is to bounce ideas off someone so you can have extra eyes on the situation and deal with it. Because it's, it's difficult to do it on your own, but if you have extra people to, to help you, 
uh, you can be in that, that, that better position. It's kind of like the same with your kids. Like if you're actively engaged with your kids and you're taking that coaching role, you can best put them in the right positions and, and create opportunities for them uh, to learn things. Like I try to look at, like we go into Walmart and I'll be like, okay, um, I, I give them the, the role of, hey, let's go find the toothpaste. Where do you, where do you think that is? Because you walk into Walmart, it's like overwhelming, right? Okay. Yeah. Now here's the money. Okay. Now pay for it. Ha- have the conversation with the lady behind the counter. And okay. Do you know where the car was parked? You know, a, a lot of, t- and so giving, coaching them through these life situations, even if something as simple as like going into Walmart, buying toothpaste is an opportunity that you can coach them and, and give them a, a life scenario uh, to deal with that. Uh, when we talk about in uh, a, a corporate environment, uh, a way to get after that is coaching your people through scenarios. That's why in the military we have, you know, war games and we're, whether we're actually in the field or we're doing like a staff ride where we're not, we don't have all our troops and it's just leadership talking through a scenario. I think scenario training and just repetition of, hey, these are the things that could potentially happen. You, you just get more reps in, right, the, the more that you do that. And then when you're actively, like, engaged in an operation, you know, having, having uh, a mentor or a coach to help you guide through that is also powerful. Yeah, and that speaks to your point that the more exposure uh, that you take uh, to this uh, and, 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 and working on the most likely course of action versus the more dangerous is going to uh, – you mentioned, I think, that it, this is what creates confidence within those scenarios. And with more confidence uh, is going to – it means you're going to be able to take more decisive, more accurate actions. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's the, the confidence-competence loop. The more confidence that you have with something – I'm sorry, the more competence you have with something, the more confidence you're going to have. So just think about right. a, a, a new endeavor. I think about, like, public speaking. That used to mortify me. We were talking about that earlier, like how, how people are just terrified of that. There's studies out there that say people would rather die than to get up in front of a, a group of people to, to speak. And so it's one of the scariest things for a lot of people. I used to be mortified of that as well, but – the, you know, having opportunities from the military, like forcing me to get out there, like as a recruiter, like you have to go out there and talk to people about the army. You have to go and, and deliver this training. And through the, the, the repetition, you develop competence in how to, cause it's anything can be learned uh, through the, the competence. You're going to gain more confidence. Now, am I still nervous? Yeah. I was nervous with coming into this podcast, you know, like, I don't know what you're going to ask me and, but I'm competent in my abilities to speak and articulate my points. I, I understand, yeah. you know, I, I have a lot of confidence in my content because I'm aware of what we're going to talk about. But what, what am I worried about? Well, maybe you catch me off guard and make me look silly and it's a judgment of other people. But I'm going to step into that role anyway, right? It's acknowledging that there is some fear there, but I'm taking bold action and courage. But I'm far more, like if you would have, if we would have had this uh, conversation 10 years ago, I'd be mortified, I'd be sweating, I probably wouldn't be able to articulate anything. Right. So it's through it's through competence and through repetition that I've developed that sense of confidence. This is great. I think the uh, one of the things that I'm hearing here, Jay, and a big takeaway from this part of the conversation is that in order to get into the competence confidence loop, you need to make sure that you're really focusing on most likely courses of action rather than always stepping into that negative bias of the most dangerous course of action, always looking for the saber tooth tiger, always looking for the worst case outcome because then that doesn't that that disables you from getting into that loop where you have the competence you take action and then you see your outcome it builds confidence you rinse repeat and you optimize you get rid of the bad 
part of that experience. You just keep looping and growing and growing through uh, through taking steps towards most likely outcomes versus most dangerous. Would you yeah, agree with that? Uh, absolutely. I think about because oftentimes we get paralyzed. We start catastrophizing and then that leads to us overthinking things. And then we procrastinate when what we really need to be doing is probably identifying what could go wrong and how can we best prepare for that scenario and do rehearsals yeah. and really lean into this thing. I look at my daughters, you know, they're, they're really freaked out about Saturday. And I'm like, okay, well, we can sit here and do nothing and wring our hands over it and procrastinate and just worry. Or, hey, let's practice the, the Pumse routine that you have to do, right? And, and practice the numbers and, and coaching them through that because their natural disposition is to, I'm going to go hang out on TikTok or I'm going to go watch YouTube. No, let's... Let's practice this, and you're going to have a little bit more uh, competence, which is going to improve your confidence. And as you, and then when you actually go into the situation and you get that, you earn that belt, man, that, that meaningful pursuit, that's going to, now you have a new level of confidence overall. That really elevates you, right? And oh, so absolutely. I think that's important. So you can catastrophize and get paralyzed and procrastinate because that's what a lot of people do. I've done that before. Or you can kind of lean into it, identify what's most likely going to happen, quit catastrophizing because a lot of that stuff is BS, but what could legitimately go wrong? What are the skills I need to brush up on and lean into this thing and then show up as your best self uh, into this scenario? Yeah, and I think this goes all the way back to one of the first points that you were talking about when you were sort of redefining resilience. And uh, what I'm hearing in the story of your daughters taking this test and what I've experienced as a professional martial artist my whole career is that they will have those outcomes that you're talking about by facing these most like the, the you know the most likely course of action or what those outcomes are going to be rather than catastrophizing but what's also going to happen at the same time is that's going to build parallel resilience it, and it's just the it's it is a result of this it's not it's not what they're pursuing or what you're pursuing as a father the the parallel resilience is going to be testing anxiety for their college prep exams or something like that. The more they're exposed to th what we're talking about right now, even in just this like this micro experience of a of taekwondo belt test, they're still they are still overcoming and stepping through the the fear threshold of testing anxiety. That's going to best prepare them for testing anxiety that they may face where the stakes are a lot higher but now they've able they're able to overcome that and they're able to step into that lane with much greater ease and more confidence and more competence yeah so like that. that, that's the that's the case for doing hard things right that's why i like that mantra it's because like anytime that yeah. i'm facing something new or difficult or challenging that scares me okay i've got a frame of reference like i've i felt these these feelings of anxiousness before and worry okay i know what yeah. this is okay and so I step into like, that's why like um, being an endurance athlete and doing things that scare me, it's like, okay, I did, I can, I ran that 50K in these, these difficult conditions. I wanted to stop, but I pushed through anyway. I've done something that most people won't even attempt to do. I can bring this into this meeting or this project and be like, you know what? I felt these feelings before, but this is what I need to do to get through it. And, and I think the more frames of reference that you have for doing those difficult tasks the more confidence you're going to have. It bleeds over into anything that you do in your life because you're familiar with the feeling. The process is, is the same. And you just, you lean in on that. And that's, I think from a, a parenting perspective, that's what we need to do for our kids is put them in those scenarios and kind of coach them through that. And the next time that there's a scenario where they're scared, it's like, hey, okay, remember the time that you went up for your belt, you know? 
This is what you did. These are the feelings that you felt. Okay, this is yeah. what we did, right? So let's do that in this scenario. And you're coaching them through 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 that. Extremely powerful. That's extremely powerful. Jay, I want to switch the topic here and pivot into another um, another uh, episode on your podcast. You made this really interesting point, and I'd like to uh, maybe unpack it a bit. And this was in your episode, Connect With Your Kids, the Family Board Meeting. Uh, you mentioned something that I really agree with. Actually, I've built my, my training program and much of the work that I do at my, at my schools, uh, at my, uh, in my program, Close Quarter Dad, it's all built on the 90-day block of time. And when you started talking about this, I was like, yes, all right. 90 days is extremely important. I was wondering if you could share with me um, your definition of that time, why it's important, what the outcomes are, and why, uh, why we really want to, uh, um, we want to use this as a tool when we're working with our children, we're working with our families, what do we need to understand about 90 day blocks of time? Yeah, so as I teach in high performance uh, in all of my studies, one of my favorite books is The 12 Week Year. And um, Brian Moran, uh, I've had him on po my podcast, very tactical book about operating 12 weeks at a time. The power of 12 weeks is a lot of people, they do annualized thinking and planning. And what happens is it's too far out there in the future. Just think about like your New Year's resolutions. January 1st, it's a new year, it's a new me, you know, the gyms are packed, everyone's, you know, they're all excited, motivated, and then what happens within 30 days to 45 days, I think it's like 74% of people quit, and then by the end of uh, 90 days, like 90 plus percent have quit. Yeah. And it's, it's habits and distraction kind of bring you back into your old way. And you're like, you know what, I quit this now, uh, but I got plenty of time to make that up on the back end, I got, I got all year, right? And then what happens is they never they never achieve it, and so the the case for like ninety day planning, which most organizations you know the army does it, most organizations plan quarterly. Now Brian Moran will tell you quarterly planning is still annualized thinking, but ninety days, twelve weeks. I, I like that because it's just enough time to where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's not too far off that we can just brush it off in twelve weeks. You can have a bad week, but. Um, if you have too many bad weeks, like you're not going to make it right. And then you can readjust yeah. it, you know, every 90 days. And, and it goes along with the seasons as well. Like we we're in Q2 right now. So basically April, May, June until summer in my groups, that's what we're planning for right now. What are your three major projects? What are you planning toward? And no more than three major projects because you, you can have, you only have so much bandwidth and yeah. 12 weeks is just enough time where you can really gain some significant traction. Or if it's not working out, you identify the tactics that you're employing, and instead of throwing out the goal, you just make an adjustment in, in the tactic. And so it's the same, you know, you're, you're doing this in your, in your corporate job or your nine-to-five job. Well, you can apply these principles to your life as well, whether it be a health and wellness goal, whether, you know, heart actually has an acronym, health and wellness, affluence and wealth, relationships, and your development, what skills are your development. Now, we talk about, like, uh, relationships. Now, this is what I like about the family boardroom meeting, it goes in alignment with that 12-week cycle, that 90-day cycle. And really what it is, it, the, the powerful question in that book, it's a very quick read, but it was like, and when was the last time that you spent a four-hour uninterrupted block with one of your children without any distraction? Um, and th that's a powerful question because when you ask that people, most people like look like, a four-hour block of time, like with my kids, because I got triplets. They were always, you know, when we started this, they were all three together all the time. It's like, yeah. wow, that I never have time with just one-on-one -on -one time. 
Or if I do, maybe it's an hour. Maybe we're running to Walmart to buy the toothpaste, right, to come back. Uh, but a four-hour block is, is powerful because it's just enough time. Like if you, were, if you were to spend four hours on yourself, it's enough time to re recharge yourself, like break away from reality. So it's kind of like the same with your kids. Being undistracted for a four-hour block of time, it's not a lot of time, but it's enough time to make a significant impact. And if you want to strengthen anything, you have to strengthen the individual parts, right? So if you want to strengthen your family, you take that one-on-one -on -one time with each of your family members to strengthen the, the entire unit. Because in that four-hour block, you're going to get to know your child a little bit better. You're going to know, you know, what their, uh, when we talk about influence, we want to acknowledge their challenges that they have. And a 14, I don't know what it's like to be a 14-year-old girl. So she tells me it's a time for me to like really get into her space. Like, okay, what are your challenges? Okay, I got challenged with this teacher. I got challenged with uh, Taekwondo, this kid at Taekwondo. Uh, one of my daughters, she got kicked in the head and, and the kid just isn't paying attention to the instructor. She's got, that's her challenge, right? Those are the things that she's struggling with. And you really get to know that. Then you really also get to know, acknowledge their ambition. Like, what is it that they're excited about? And then that's a moment where you can like talk about life and, and maybe teach them a lesson or without, you don't want to, you really want to take the opportunity to connect with them. And um, that four hour block is really powerful. And yeah, I'd like uh, to just, I'd like to step into that for a second, yeah. Jay, you, you got me thinking here. You know, one of the, uh, I like to spend, I like to connect with each one of my kids, obviously like most dads every day, some, just some one-on-one -on -one time, whether it's in the morning, in the evening, whatever. I always try to have one-on-one -on -one time with my kids. I have made it a goal of mine to have one-on-one -on -one personal time for 20 minutes to an hour. That could be like a Starbucks trip, just my daughter and I on Saturday morning, you know, or, you know, whatever it is. But I want to give an hour of my time to each one of my kids one time a week, but be able to connect with them, you know, just, it, just give them some appreciation, some recognition, some acknowledgement at every time during the day. But the four-hour thing, you got me thinking there, Jay, that would create imprints of lifelong memories. If you, re I mean, I'd like all the listeners to take a moment and hear what Jay's saying here about like what would four hours of just alone time, completely disconnected with you and one of your children, what would that, what would the outcome of that be? And I think a four-hour block of time would be something that my daughter would probably carry with her for the rest of her life. So that's really that's a big difference than a one-hour block of time or a twenty-minute, like I'm saying. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. That's really that's uh, that's something. Now, a couple of rules to that four hours is um, the child gets to pick what they do. Yeah. yeah. They get to pick what you do, and there's no phones. There's no interruptions. You, you put your phone on airplane mode so you can snap a photo of, of the date that you guys have together and commemorate sure. and remember that date. And then before that one ends, you're supposed to have the next one on the calendar so you don't – so life doesn't get in the way. And uh, that, those, are the, those are some of the, the additional ground rules, but it's very impactful. Uh, the 90 days uh, thing here, I, I had this thought, and I'm, I'm interested in your opinion. Night, it takes 90 days to form a new habit. We went through COVID, uh, and a lot of people in work environments, uh, family environments, we really needed to shift much of our um, how we did life, how we mm -hmm. parent, uh, how we were employed, how we're making a living, uh, even our hobbies and our activities and the things that we enjoyed. We had a lot of things that needed to shift. We went far beyond that 90-day point, and the, therefore, we were required to change our habits. I'm curious to hear, you know, 
I've, I've felt in a lot of people, they're called back to work and they're called back to that exact same experience that they had pre-COVID, February 2019. Okay, come back to work now. COVID's over, take the mask off or, you know, practice safe distancing, all the things, right? But you got to come back to work and back at your office and so on and so forth. There's, a f there's an unrecognized degree of a lack of fairness or situational, like, empathy like in, in understanding that you've got a community of people who who had to completely shift their lives and their personal habits because of this circumstance I'm curious to hear from you if you uh, if you see that as well and if this is something that may not be identified as parents where we're like okay the the pandemic's over teenage kid you need to go back to how you were back then, you know, schools, you know, all these things, but we're not recognizing enough with our children and maybe new form new habits or new ways of uh, new paradigms were created during this time. And we need to sort of recognize that. I'm, I have some confusion here. I'm wondering maybe if you could share your perspective on that. Yeah, that's uh it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term effects are of, of this time right, yeah. with, uh, with COVID because, you know, our kids are developing socially during this time. And I just think of myself back in high school. I was so timid and uh, communication and having the, the, the courage to express myself was so challenging because they didn't know who I was and I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so it's going to be interesting to see that. Like, I, my kids – they have a very similar disposition. They're very introverted. And, you know, the, the case for, you know, one of the things I appreciate about going to school is you're outside of your comfort zone. I look back, school was one of the most difficult times of my life. Not really so much the homework. It was the social interactions between the teachers, the various groups of kids. And it's going to be interesting because I think that it you, you get a sense of comfort from being at home. Yeah. But... You're seeing it now where people have a difficult time making eye contact with you and communicating with you. And I think of all the skills that, um, that, are, that are crucial to being successful, having effective communication skills is, is critical. The, the more that you're, and I've heard people, speakers talk about this, the more that you're, you're, your ability to get up and speak publicly, the bigger your bank account. There's some, there's some nuances to that. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, I, I think people have developed habits of, of seclusion and maybe maybe uh, they're more, I don't know, you, you're seeing it now, especially people are they're, they're face down in their phones. Yeah. People are generally friendly, but you get on social media and it's just like, where did that come from? I didn't know that that person had that in them, right? What they type out, you know? I don't know. It's 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 we're a, it's a very interesting time, and I think COVID exasperated that point. That um, that uh, oh, it made us very comfortable, uh, and, and yeah, I, I I don't maybe it exposed you know. us a little bit more. You th is kind of what I'm hearing. It, it yeah, sort and of I think the people. Yeah, I think people need human connection. We desire human connection, but we're finding that more with social media than we are with anything else. And mm. so I, I don't know. I think there's some good of it. I like the idea that people are home more and they're connected with their family more. But at the same time, I find it more difficult to communicate with people because <laughs> I think that they've become too comfortable being at home and, and they're, they're, 
they struggle with making eye contact and actually having human interaction with other people. Yeah, yeah. I think the last topic I'd like to step into, Jay, with you is uh, you talk in one of your episodes about anticipation and the power of anticipation. And uh, I'd like to hear how giving, uh, properly giving your children cause to and like reason and meaning to anticipate something uh, is there it sounds to me like there's a bit of a like an almost an art to doing this right to how where anticipation is a empowering thing it gives them fuel uh it could also be i i could imagine it could be a dangerous thing too um but i'd love to hear some more definition from you about uh, delivering and sort of curating anticipation for our children in the work that we do as parents and how we can use this as a tool. Yeah, I think anticipation, just think about, uh, I'm sure maybe your listeners, they can relate to this. They've been into a, a period at, at where they're working a lot and they're in a grind. And it's just like, man, I can't, I'm doing a lot of busy work, but I'm not feeling very fulfilled. You have that vacation plan. You finally, you suddenly get that vacation planned a few months out. It's like, okay, I can get through this because, man, I'm going to be on the beach here in a few months. And you really start to think about the, the other times you were at the beach. And it gives you, like, you can deal with the, the struggle of the day because you're looking forward to something in, in the future. And so I think having positive anticipation with having something to look forward to on the calendar is incredibly important. I know that when I have things I'm looking forward to planned out, uh, my life seems to be a little bit better. It seems like I can navigate through more difficult times easier yeah. because I have something to look forward to. Now, there's sometimes that we anticipate or we get anxious about things. Like I go back to my kids, like they're they're anticipating uh, what this uh, what, what, what the Taekwondo um, test is going to be. So, but I think it's good too to have a little bit of of maybe uh, intrepidation and and dread. But nested with that is like, okay, after you guys get your belt test, we're going to go out and do something cool to celebrate it, right? So it's like, okay, I got this thing that I'm, I'm scared of. I have some anxiety and worry about. But immediately following that, I get to go and do this thing that I want to do. And I'm going to go maybe get – maybe I'll, t I'll take them to their favorite restaurant and they get to pick something out. They can pick anything they want from the menu. Well, Phoebe's a foodie, so she loves doing that type of stuff. So she's like, okay, if I do well during this test and face this, I'm going to get rewarded with that too. So I think that's a that's a powerful tool, and it helps you navigate the struggle of the day-to-day. Because -day. the common thing is that we all have challenges, and that the day-to-day the -day grind is real, and sometimes we need those things to look forward to. Yeah, it was really interesting something you just said there, and I was thinking of that word right when you said it, which was anxiety. And what I'm hearing in your message is that if we can properly curate anticipation with our children, like the big dinner you're going to take them out to after they pass their test, if we're able to balance anxiety with anticipation rather than just leave them out there to hang on the anxiety, testing anxiety in this experience, if they didn't have something to balance that against, then they would be left in a situation of anxiety, which then it maybe, maybe, maybe would move them towards looking at the dangerous uh, course of action. It makes them more yeah. susceptible to falling into that. But when we're able to balance that, whatever that anxiety our ch child has with a sense of anticipation, um, then, they, then they're more well aligned to step into that challenge and then look for the most likely outcome. Absolutely. Or the most likely course of action. That's pretty cool. It's kind, yeah. it's kind of anchoring that. In, in, in military terms, when we look at the most likely course of action, it's like, okay, the enemy's most likely going to do that. They have this capability. 
Okay, but we have this arsenal of capability that we bring to the fight. We yeah. got that. Like we, if we can anticipate what the enemy's going to do, it's like okay, we can we can handle that, and uh, with overwhelming force, and we're gonna, and, and then you start to anticipate like we're going to be okay. We're going to maneuver through this because we can. When you understand, when you have a, a concept of what the wor- the, the worst case scenario is going to be and what's most likely going to happen, you can hedge against that, and you look at all the things that you bring. It gives you a little bit more confidence that I can get through this thing. Yeah. Incredibly valuable stuff here, Jay. Thank you so much. Um, t- talk to me, talk to, talk to us uh, a little bit about the work that you're doing right now. Do Hard Things brand, man. I love it. It's awesome. Uh, where are we going? What's, what's happening in your world? and what, what do we have to look forward to? Oh, so we're just getting started. I'm finishing up. I'm in the last year of my military service. I'll be retiring next year. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm starting early. I'm starting in this transition process early, but I've been, uh, I got certified as a high performance coach. So I'm delivering one-on-one coaching and group coaching. I have a group called the forge. It's like a mastermind community, uh, men and women, and, and just trying to help them, you know, optimize with high performance habits and help them, you know, I, the power of a mass masterminds have fundamentally changed my life. And I'm like, okay, I, I can, I want to create one, you know, with, with my flair. So that's what we've developed. Uh, we've got the apparel brand. We are the uh, the official uh, one of the official sponsors of the best sapper competition that's kicking off this weekend. So we're par- proud to partner with uh, with the best sapper because I'm a combat engineer, so I have a lot of pride in the engineer regiment. And we've got uh, apparel. Going to be doing like I, I'm very much like uh, I like adventure and outdoors, so I want to bring high performance coaching into like a retreat type setting. So we're going to have some retreats. Great. And that's, uh, that's really kind of the way ahead. I mean, I deliver live workshops. I flew out to Albuquerque and delivered a workshop to a bunch of recruiters, uh, military recruiters a couple weeks ago, and it was uh, profoundly impactful. And uh, so just and continuing to grow the podcast. So basically creating the Do Hard Things Nation with uh, apparel, coaching, and just helping people live uh, with high-performance habits a, a, better, a better life to awesome. achieve their fullest potential. Jay, before you sign off, I got one question for you, man. Yeah. If you were, if you were to go back on that beautiful day when you first saw your daughters and as a young man you had the weight of how am i going to keep these three little angels safe for the rest of my life like what wow like i got i've got that responsibility um where you are now the experiences that you've had the dark times the bright times and uh as a man as a father as a leader if you were to put your arm around that man then what is the one lesson that you'd want to convey to him that he may not have known then that he should know? Wow. As I think about that day, having triplets, I don't know that anyone, like I, I was in shock, right? <laughs> so going down, cutting the umbilical cords, one, two, three, the team of people that were in the room, very overwhelming. I knew at that moment, like things were real, like all of the things that I had experienced, I wasn't handling life well. I mean, I was, I was doing well in my career, but I wasn't managing a lot of aspects of my life. That was a, um, a light bulb moment for me. Like, okay, things just got real. It's not just about me anymore. I didn't have a father and I'm like, okay, I, well, I had, I had a father very dysfunctional for a while before he left. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what right looks like, but I don't, I know that that's not right. So let me just be the father that I never had. And I really need to work on myself. And it wasn't long after that where I started. It probably took me a couple years before I really leaned in on working on myself. 
Leaders are readers. I wish I would have started reading and, and leaning in on the personal growth and development. I wish I would have mm -hmm. maybe gotten known about mastermind groups and really leaned in on, on that sooner. Because where I'm at now is directly because of that. My life is infinitely better than it was. I hit a really low point and I had to pull myself out of it. I may have been able to avoid that low point and keep the gun out of my mouth before that point had, had I started this work sooner. I know that I would have. And, but it took that low point to really wake me up. Yeah. But going back, hindsight being 2020, maybe starting then or starting sooner, but I knew at that moment I needed to wake up. I just Don't didn't know what that wolf. looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Warriors travel in teams. Don't be a lone wolf, man. You need to lean in. You're absolutely right. I could have taken that advice too back in those days. 100%. You know what? When I, was, when I was younger as a teenager, I used to pride myself on being a lone wolf. Like I, I, I said that term specifically. Yeah. That has not served me well. Right. Yeah. You got you got to you got to find your tribe of people. There's a lot of wisdom in that, Jay. Jay, thank yeah. you so much for this time. Uh, uh Do hard things. I'm going to make sure I share all of that information in the uh, in the show notes here. Uh, but before we uh, before we let you go, Jay, I want to once again thank you for your service and career dedication uh, to our country and to your military service. I want to thank you for raising. Uh, three members of the next generation in such a beautiful and strong way. And I also want to thank you for the work that you're going to be doing, because I'm certain after this conversation that uh, you're going to be able to transform the lives of many people uh, down the road, both through your brand, uh, through your coaching, your leadership, uh, and just being present in you in, in moments. So uh, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it deeply. Yeah, Adam, thanks for having me. I appreciate the work that, uh, that you're doing. And uh, I look at, you know, we're, we're soldiers on, uh, on a similar fight, helping people live a better life. And uh, for those that are listening, thank you. Continue to lean in on this, and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Jay. Thank you.